I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If you've never heard this show before, well, I've got pretty good news for you. It's a simple idea that we've all had teachers in our lives who made a big impact on us and really inspired us or helped shape who we are today. And we want to hear about those educators that inspired you. Every single teacher that we've had on this show is nominated by you, our listeners. We want you to be a part of this show. So who's the person that comes to your mind when we say that? Tell us about that person who inspired you and shoot us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu and nominate an educator in your life. On today's episode, we are chatting with Mona Lott. She's a drag queen, educator, and host of the podcast, Mental Health is a Drag. Mona also happens to be the drag persona of counselor and professor Dr. Joel Fillmore, who we talked to on the very last episode of this show. We talked to Mona about why she started Mental Health is a Drag to talk about mental health topics through the lens of drag and comedy. Going into opening a private practice for mental health in the area, my concerns were because I'm a person of color, because I'm queer identified, will people want to be seen by me? And lo and behold, it was not an issue. In fact, the exact opposite happened. Like my practice thrived and I had some such great experiences and I realized that we live in this really kind of interesting eclectic area where folks are open and willing to grow and learn. And so mental health is a drag was really my effort in kind of bridging all these things that make up who I am as a person. We also chat about why she decided to come out of retirement several years ago and what educating people through drag performance means to her. If you're hearing this show on the Friday that it's released, then today, Teacher's Lounge is also going to be on the radio on WNIJ. So you can tune in at 11 a.m. It's an hour-long show on 89.5 FM or on WNIJ.org. You can hear it there. And we've got my interview with Dr. Joel Fillmore from the last episode and a throwback conversation that you may not have heard from the really early days of Teacher's Lounge with Dick Hart. And so for the longtime listeners, you might remember Dick as the music teacher in his 90s that served in the Army Band during the Korean War and is just the sweetest, most charming man. So check that out if you can. We've got brand new segments for you like Classroom Correspondent where we check in with the same teacher every month to kind of chart how it feels to go through a school year, especially one as weird as this one. And you can hear the Teacher's Lounge radio show on the last Friday of every month, again at 11 a.m. on WNIJ. And because we have all of that coming out this week and it's a holiday weekend, how about I just bring you my conversation with champion drag queen and educator Miss Mona Lott. Enjoy. Never in my life have I been so upset that this is an audio program. <laughs> I feel like I need to give you the, the proper intro. Because you are the newly crowned Miss Wisconsin Continental Elite 2022. Yes. Congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Was there, there better be a real crown, is there not? Oh, yeah. It's downstairs. But yeah. It's, it's downstairs. It's a very, very big crown. And a sash. So a crown and a Absolutely. And so now you're on your way. You're moving on to the national pageant, correct? Yes. I will be competing Easter weekend in April in Chicago for the title, the national title of Miss Continental Elite, which is like the queer version of Miss America for 40 and older population. Can I tell you something that's really funny and kind of embarrassing on my part? When I was originally emailing you to be on the show, my, I I don't know, is it, if it's naivety, is it, is it prudishness, but I read 
your name as Mona Latte. And I was like, how stupid can you get that that is, that is not what it yeah. is? Have you gotten that before? Have people mispronounced it before? Most people pronounce it Moana Latte. Okay, see, so, yeah, because now you're getting confused with a children's movie, which is tough, right? Exactly, and my name is actually a play on the words Mon a la. So yeah, which is completely clear to me now, because when I said it the, the wrong way, I was like, "That there's just no way that that's it." But yes, Miss Mon a lot. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. There you go. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, I, I'd love to learn more about the Miss Wisconsin Elite Show. The actual performance part of it is such a huge part of drag. Can you talk us through like what that looked like for you, what the performance was like that night? Well, so one of the interesting things about kind of queer pageantry is that there are different systems and kind of a little bit of history. The, the queer pageantry system has its um, genesis in the black queer ball scene right in um you know like in oh, really? New York and, and whatnot and so it really kind of has some very close ties to that and so just like in the you know heteronormative world we have beauty pageants there are beauty pageants in the queer world and so um continental is one of them but continental is kind of unique in that um in the 40 plus years that it has been in existence it's historically been the pageant that a significant portion of trans women would compete on, right? Oh, really? Why is that? Well, because I think I think initially it was kind of designed to create a space because historically trans women have been discriminated against very, very profoundly in the queer community. You know, trans women yeah. and, and drag queens have had a very, very toxic relationship with the queer community. Like, and not to mention trans black women specifically. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so just like there are isms and whatnot within the heteronormative community, those same isms exist within the queer community because the queer community is nothing more than a microcosm of the wider community. Yeah. yeah. Which got a PhD. <laughs> so that the performance of the evening that, you know, I'm, I'm assuming there are, I, I saw on YouTube, there was a video of, of you performing some Dua Lipa, Obviously not part of the pageant ever, but I'm curious, what was it like on the night of? What did you do? What was the performance? I had paid all this money to have this really amazing video. It's a picture video of my life, basically from birth till now, like in picture form of my journey. And then along with the pictures, so pictures of like my mother and, and, and like a blank picture of my father because he was absent in my life, you know, and mm. then like. Um, there was like a red circle with the X marks in it over my mom's face. And it said murdered when I was three years in 1973, I was three years old. And so I literally told the story of my life and my trauma in pictures while I lip sang to broken and beautiful by Kelly Clarkson. And I won. Yeah. I love it. At, at what point in the evening did you know, like, I got this, like well, it's over for them. That's the interesting thing. So I am. I identify as a trans female, but I've never transitioned. You know, 20 years ago, when I got out of prison, I made the decision that, you know, I had been homeless for 10 years. I had been a drug addict for 10 years, and I had been a victim of sex trafficking for 10 years. So trying to not be those things and go to college and transition into becoming the woman that I've always known I was, was too much. So I decided to live in the body I was born in, the male body I was born in and pursue those other things, sobriety, education, like being successfully domiciled. 
you know, the, like the basics. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And shortly after I got out of prison in 2004 and started college, I met my now husband and, you know, he doesn't want to be married to a woman. So like, I love him. So I made, I made a very conscious decision not to transition and to just find a way to love me in the body I'm in. Because the reality is this, if I, in fact, am a trans woman, I'm a trans woman, whether I'm in the body, I should be or not. And I recognize that for myself. You know, and there are some folks who, and I want to be very clear about this, there are some folks out there who are trans and they don't have the ability to transition. And because they lack the ability to transition, it's very traumatic for them. And for those people, I have great sympathy and my heart goes out to them. I have found a way to be okay with me, to thrive with me. And drag, quite frankly, is a part of that. Yeah, and you had retired from drag for for a while, right? Up until a few years back. And so what was the comeback like? Was it just you felt like you didn't have this way to express yourself in the way that you needed to to do? What was what was the thought process of of deciding to be the comeback queen? Well, oh, I love that. The comeback queen. I mean, that's not <laughs> the thing. You can take that one. That one's free. I don't need your permission. I've decided. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so, well, you know, because I retired basically when I went to prison in uh, right. 2002. But then when I got out of prison, like I made a conscious decision to, re- to remain retired because my education needed to be the priority in my life. Um, so that was, so you figure 2000. Right, you were doing school year round, so you did not have a lot of time. No, no, I was a full-time student through my bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degree, and I worked full-time. I mean, initially, I had a 20-hour-a-week work-study job as an undergrad, you know, which I think a lot of folks from underrepresented and lower SES communities with financial aid, you know, we, we're fortunate that we can benefit from that. But as I got more education, you know, I had opportunity to get jobs in the private sector and very, very quickly, very quickly. You know, it's, it, I will tell you this, for years, I was an, a, a collegiate academic advisor. So part, while I worked in my doctorate degree, I was working as an academic advisor, advising students on what courses to take for the particular degree they wanted and to help them kind of figure out their professional, academic, and then career in the future. And I will say this, one of the things that I, I that I've really, really enjoyed about my career is just being able to help students figure out for themselves, not only is most jobs, quite frankly, most jobs are just that, the JLB. I was a little overzealous trying to make up for my criminal history by getting a doctorate degree. Not everybody needs a doctorate degree. Gosh, if everyone had one, how pretentious of a world would we live in that? Jesus, wow. Right, how much does it mean then? Yeah, and how much does it mean? The reality is this, the majority of the work that I do now, which is primarily clinical, I'm a clinical therapist, do mental health counseling, and kind of my daily work, the place where I'm most comfortable is couples counseling, which I love, whether they're heterosexual or same gender loving, I don't care, or non-binary, whatever, but you would be amazed at the kind of the spectrum, but I love couples counseling, as well as- I think a lot of people probably see couples counseling as like, I feel like, you know, my relationship isn't, it's not on death's door right now. What do I have any use for couples counseling for? I feel like that's still the way that most people probably think about it. Well, and the thing is, if your relationship is on death's door, you've waited too long. 
Right. Couples counseling might not be able to save it. It may not be what we, I mean, couples counseling, what, what couples counseling may be at that point is me helping the two of you figure out how best to separate. Yeah. hundred percent. That's the reality of it. I mean, it is what it is, but I'll say this for, for all of those people that I do work with as, as their therapist, the work that I do as a couples counselor helps me because everything, and this is the thing, I don't know how many people think therapy like counseling is bullshit, but I can promise you it's not. And the reason I can promise you that is that everything that I utilize in my couples counseling, I utilize in my own, my own marriage. And I've been with my husband 17 years and that man is my best friend. And I, I love him more today than I did 17 years ago. A lot of folks who go into counseling therapy, they want a magic fix as opposed to what's actually true, which is I don't have any magic powers other than my a doctor. incredible beauty, like my beauty. <laughs> yes, also that. Other than the incredible beauty in education, right? Right. Well, anybody, the reality is this, the reality is this, anybody can get the education I got. I'm not overtly intelligent. I'm not a super genius. I did crack and heroin for 10 years. I've lost quite a few brain cells. Anyone can get a doctorate degree as long as they're determined. That's what it takes. It takes determination because the doctorate degree, depending on the major, I mean, I'm not a biochemist, I'm not a rocket scientist, and I never, ever will be. But depending on your degree, anyone can earn a doctorate degree. I don't think everyone needs to. Like I, I was saying, the majority of the work that I do, I do based on my master's education, my clinical license. Oh, interesting. Yeah, really? absolutely. Oh, you know, get back to... To, the, to drag, yes. you know, since you came back in out of retirement, again, I, I saw that you were part of the feature that we did actually at our station a couple of years back about the drag scene in DeKalb back when the House Cafe was still open. Yeah. And I was rereading that today to see if you had any quotes in there. And you did have one where you were talking about how, like, it feels really good to be a big fish in a small pond, mm-hmm. right? And I think that there's some people that you know, who don't have much familiarity with drag, they kind of assume that it's something that only happens in big cities, right? And I'm really fascinated to hear about the drag community in both, you know, more rural areas like DeKalb and also I know your show is in Elgin that's more, you know, suburban. Like what is so special about those drag communities? So I actually have, in the three years that I've been doing drag, I now have three monthly shows at three different venues. So First, yeah, name them off for us so oh, in case people absolutely. want to go. So the first Saturday of every month, I am doing my show called Mona's Mavens at the Martini Room in Elgin, Illinois. That's the first Saturday of every month. And I just bring entertainers from all over the country. Um, I have actually have somebody coming from California this weekend for this Saturday. Um, and then some queens coming from Wisconsin. And then the second Saturday every month, I have Mona's Mavens at the Office Nightclub, which is the premier queer club in Rockford, Illinois. It's a show line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third Saturday of every month, I have a new show that I just started here in DeKalb at Hometown Bar and Grill. And so we do that every third Saturday of the month in their kind of space next door. I think it's called... Um, God, what is it? The dugout or something. It's not the dugout. It's something. I'm so queer. I don't even know. It's a sports bar. (laughs) Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Something sports, balls, and bats. That's what we'll call it. Yes. Right. So, yeah, like I'm I'm fascinated to hear about like the 
the community specifically in like the northern Illinois area and how you found that since you came out of retirement? What is that like? Because, again, I think that some people just assume that drag only happens, you know, in New York and Chicago and L.A. and places like that. So, you know, it's interesting. So I didn't even know drag was going on here while I was living here and I didn't even know about it. So I just randomly heard. So when I got involved three years ago, one of the things that was really interesting, because before that, you know, I was doing clinical counseling and, and one of the areas of that I specialize in is LGBTQI counseling. And so I had a private practice here in the area and I had a lot of clients specifically who were within the queer umbrella. And so I knew that there was a large community here, but one of the things about this area, because we are rural, you know, we're small town, most of us are here because, you know, we want small town life. We don't want attention drawn to ourselves. You know, we don't want to make waves. And I think that's like doubly true for the queer community here in the area. So lots of queer folks who just simply aren't interested in making their identity central to who they are and because they want to just live amongst the community. And so when I started doing drag here in town, like, like I was inundated with folks saying, oh my goodness, I'm so excited and so glad that you're doing this. But interestingly enough, like our show that we have at Hometown, I would argue half, if not more than the people who come do not identify under the queer umbrella, they identify as heterosexual. And they see drag as just one more form of entertainment along with- Just the art of it. Whatever other entertainment they have going on in their lives, absolutely. Oh man, so what, what do you think about that? As you know, I, th- I think that it's like, obviously you want these spaces that were created and cultivated for like queer communities to still be like owned by that. But then also I'd say, I'd have to imagine that in some level it's it's nice just to, you know, people coming out and they enjoy the show and they enjoy for what it is. Great to have them. Absolutely. So you touched on something I think that is really important is this this ideology that or that is kind of uh, making the rounds where some folks within the queer community are upset because like cisgender heterosexual spaces that are normal, that have historically been like cisgender heterosexual spaces are now opening themselves up to drag and to shows. And some folks are really upset by that. I would not be one of those people. And the reason I would not be one of those people is this. I am black and white and I am queer and trans. My entire life, everywhere I go, someone is guaranteed to not like me because of one of those identities. And the thing is this, I think for a lot of my queer brothers and sisters, the majority of whom are Caucasian, the reason this particular issue is such an issue for them is because they've had a very privileged life where very few things have been barriers to them. But as a queer queer person of color, this is just one more barrier in 51 years worth of barriers. It's not it's a non-issue to me. Yeah. Well, of course, Mona, this is an education show. Absolutely. And you you are an educator. Mm-hmm. I know that you've had drag in your life forever. I'm curious about some of your drag mentors slash idols and like, who are some of the people that stand out to you over the course of your life of like those big, you know, educators that you had in the drag community and kind of what you learned from them? Well, honestly, like, you know, I started, I started expressing myself at the age of 13 in 1983, I was yeah. dressing up as a girl because I had access to makeup because my grandmother sold Avon. Thank you, Grandma. 
Um, so we always had makeup on the house. But I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know I was trans at, in 1983 in rural Michigan on a farm because we didn't talk about those things. And those weren't words that people fancied about. So again, so I grew up in an environment where I didn't know what drag was. And when I finally found out what it was, you know, I was 18 and living in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 1988. And that was my first time ever being around people who openly identified within a queer umbrella, first of all. So like I was like living in my fantasy world. So most right, of my because like you that, said that you didn't even have like the terms for it there, let alone like no. the knowing that there was like a whole community of it. Oh no, no. I grew up very secluded on a farm in rural Michigan by my grandmother. So like gay and transgender, those those were words that I didn't even know were were words. And and yeah, so as I was ex coming to understand my own sexual identity and sexual kind of the way that I presented my orientation and, and expression, um, I didn't have words. All I all I knew was boys and girls, and I certainly didn't fit in the boys category. So there was only one other option. And once I put a little eyeliner and a little lipstick on, it was clear to me who, in fact, I was supposed to be. Lights went on. Yeah. Yeah. So my idols growing up in the queer community around drag were really local queens because like for me they were superstars because I grew up very repressed and so there were folks like Kelly Dagan who is deceased you know and you know uh like girls like that and and interestingly enough I had this really kind of cool epiphany so in the late 80s early 90s when I first started doing drag in that day you know in those days if you were able to perform at the baton Lounge in Chicago, Illinois, that meant you had arrived. That meant you were at the top of your game. And I just recently won this title, which is within the Continental System. The Continental System is owned by Jim Flint. And Jim Flint is the owner, original owner and founder of the Baton Lounge and the Continental System. And there's an opportunity for me to perform with the Baton. And at 51 years of age, I'm living a dream that I had when I was 18. So freaking awesome. Yeah, full circle. Full circle. About time. Yeah, crazy, crazy. And you know, and the cool thing is that I know some folks might be listening to this um, podcast and be like, who cares this drag? It's stupid. Like, you're an old man and you're wasting your time doing that. No, I'm not an old man wasting my time. I'm a doctor who's successful and who is enjoying his hobby. Too. Because I've already done what I need to do in life. Mother makes six figures. I own a home. I have a husband. I'm happily married. Now I'm just enjoying my old age and I'm enjoying it well. Love it. And okay, so we talked a little bit about the counseling aspect and, and man's mental health. And you hosted a show, a podcast called Mental Health is a Drag. Yes. I, 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 I was doing this podcast. And if you know anything about me, I'm I'm a can my 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 astrological sign is cancer, and I'm very 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 much about people. I think that's why I'm a therapist. I love doing things with people. And oh, so interesting. Because I, I don't I, I'm terrible at it with astrology. So like being a cancer, like what is that? What is very that? Very emotional and intuitive and empathic. Okay. See, I'm a Leo. I know that much. Which yeah. I, I suppose, as someone that again hosts like a show, which is very much about the sound of its own voice, like that kind of makes sense. I hear. Well, I'm I'm a cancer, so I'm very self-focused so i don't know what the fuck a leo is to die, to die so. <laughs> fair enough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me show um this yeah. podcast mental health is a drag and 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 it was me and i always had a co-host who's kind of like the straight man not like 
in terms of sexual orientation, but I try to be funny and I like them. <laughs> so serious. Yeah, but, you need some banter. Yes, exactly. And the, like I had two really great folks over my time and both of them left me. And so like so I'm so the, the show's on 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 the hiatus because I need a new co-host. And oh my God, can I just say, Peter, I kind of think you are the perfect co-host for my that is taking straight man to a new level, though. <laughs> I, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, tell me about, like, what made you want to launch the show in the first place? Like, having that platform to talk about mental health through this lens of drag, well, you know? you know, it, it, it's kind of a lot of different things. So, you yeah. know, living in DeKalb, which, is, you know, folks would say is a very kind of progressive, conservative area, progressive because I think of the university, but very much a conservative area, right? It's a very strange spot, right? Like it's a, it's a very progressive spot, university town, city feel, but then surrounded by, yes. uh, you know, 50 miles of cornfields, exactly. which is where I grew up at. And very much that strong kind of conservative kind of feel, in, in which I, I, mean, I live here, I've lived here total going on nine, like in my ninth year. So I love DeKalb. I'm not just like a, a tourist. I love DeKalb. I'm here on purpose. When I was doing my private practice and, and, and like going into opening a private practice for mental health in the area, my concerns were because I'm a person of color, because I'm queer identified, will people want to be seen by me as a professional? Like, will they respect me as a professional therapist? Right. And, you know, I started my private practice and lo and behold, it was not an issue. In fact, the exact opposite happened. Like it, my practice thrived and I had some such great experiences. And I realized through that experience that we live in this really kind of interesting eclectic area where folks are open and willing to grow and learn. And so mental health is a drag was really about, was really my, my effort in kind of bridging all these things that make up who I am as a person, including drag, my professional identity, you know, doctor, therapist, writer, author, speaker, and 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 kind of trying to make it palatable to the everyman, you know, but in, in a way that's funny because I like to be funny. If shit's too dry, I don't want to do it. I am not interested in dry, which is why I'm not always the best professor because I like to have fun, you know. I like to have fun and I'm very authentic. If shit's fucked up, I'm going to say shit's fucked up. And you just got to live with it. And since I'm a professor in grad school, there are no children here, so try not to be offended by my adult language. Well, I mean, I think that kind of goes into the title too, right? Like, mental health is a drag. Like, I think that like people are on board for the idea that like mental health is a serious issue. They're on board for the idea that counseling and therapy works, but they also like kind of don't want to talk about that unless their life is actively falling apart. You know? You no, know, they wait. They wait till they wait till they 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 have only one choice and the choice they have is the worst choice they could possibly choose. And that's when they decide to go to therapy. And at that point, all I can do for you is say, well, jump off the cliff and hopefully you can fly. Like why, like why would you wait till your car broke down to go to a mechanic? That don't even make sense. The first time you hear a weird sound, you should be at the mechanic's office. The first time you hear a weird sound, not when it breaks down and won't go, that's stupid. <laughs> don't just skid it as you're flying through traffic and the brakes don't work. And the thing is, this is the therapist that I am. So not everybody yeah. can handle me. Not everybody can handle me telling them they're stupid for the decisions they've made. But sometimes folks need to hear that. What you did was fucking dumb. 
Now let's talk about the consequences and how next time you ain't gonna do that dumb shit. So how do you approach that for the show when you're not, you know, in a one-on-one setting like you're counseling, you're doing it for like a broad audience? Like how does that change? Well, it's, it's, so the show, it, kind of when you're, you're talking about kind of like a macro experience. So when you're dealing with a macro yeah. experience, you're talking about issues. So at that point, you're starting to talk about issues that are based in kind of society, societal norms. And so they tend to apply to everyone at some level. So we're not talking about individual issues. We're talking about the kind of stuff that's in the news, the kind of stuff that is creating political headlines. That, because all of that stuff is grist for the mill because all of it impacts our mental health. Yeah, it's funny as as someone that is like, my job is to like, keep track of the news and be in that headspace all the time. The shit is exhausting for me and they pay me for it. Right. If you could do it in a way that was funny. Which which people are like obviously gravitate towards like even like you said, like with politics or like news, there's all there's like all kinds of shows all the time about doing that in a way that's, that's why funny. things like the Daily Show are so popular because they're talking exactly. about real shit, but they're talking about the ridiculousness of what they're talking about. And most of the stuff that we as human beings get bogged down with, most of the shit that we are willing to die on a hill for is just dumb. It's worthless. It's stupid. And I think good commentary points that out. This the ridiculousness of the things that we as human beings are willing to go through for almost nothing. Almost no. Right. Like you, there's a way to like take things seriously while also like not taking yourself very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's 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 interesting for me because it's like I think that people think of the news and like especially the way that we do it, right? Like the radio, they think of like that. What is that like that old SNL sketch of like the sweaty balls <laughs> yeah. stuff, right? Like that that they think of like monotone old white guy just like speaking into a camera, no breaths taken, just right into the microphone. And so I'm always trying to figure out how to be authentic and like how to inject my own voice into that so people don't just be like, tune me out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh, mayonnaise is on. Let's switch, mayonnaise. Exactly, which I guess is is fun about podcasting because you do get the opportunity to kind of be yourself. Okay, so I don't have too many more questions for you. But before we wrap up, I feel like I, I kind of... Again, I ask this question like at the end of all my interviews because I'm always looking for these things that people feel like aren't being talked and talked about enough in whatever expertise yeah. or whatever field that they're in. So bringing it to drag, collectively, people that are just aware of it in pop culture, what's something about drag that you feel like people don't talk about enough or people don't know about enough that they think should be a bigger deal? Absolutely. I think the thing that folks don't know about enough about or at all and don't talk about is the fact that drag is not specific to queer men. Drag is not is not specific to queer men. Drag is not specific to trans women. Drag is in and of itself an art form. Drag started many, 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 many centuries ago with straight men because women weren't allowed to be in theater. So men mm-hmm. and boys played the roles of women. It had nothing to do with sex nothing to do with sexual orientation and gender expression. It was simply a way of, of addressing an art form in a, a very restrictive art form. Now, it's obviously changed over the decades and over the, 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 you know, the centuries, but now I think drag has become this kind of broad kind of umbrella art form where anybody, there are straight men who do drag. 100% straight men who do drag. There are straight women who drag. There are 
trans women who do drugs. There are trans men who do drugs. Like literally, if you can name them, they do drag, what, whatever population, whatever culture they come from. And so I think a lot of folks don't realize that they think drag means one very, very specific thing, and it simply doesn't. Absolutely. And for people that have never have never been to a show, have never won, we got three shows a month that they can see Miss Mona lot at. Three shows a month, and one of them is in town at a bar you probably go to regularly. So. Check it out. And in terms of being Miss Wisconsin Continental Elite 2022, which I'm totally not used to using the 2022 already. <laughs> but in terms of that, I saw that you do have a GoFundMe for people that they can pitch in, they can help subsidize the cost to get you there. It is expensive. The choreography, all of that stuff costs money. It's crazy expensive. Yes, I have a GoFundMe set up. And over the course of the next six months, I'll be doing all kinds of fundraisers and things to raise, raise money to pay for this. Because again, um, Miss Continental Elite is the equivalent in the queer community of the Miss America pageant. And so the, the cost is, is profound. This is the pinnacle. It's profound. It's profound how much it costs to be in this kind of a pageant and be competitive. I mean, I could do it on a budget, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be competitive. It's the reality. And so your, your performance, you're going to be doing a similar type of thing of what you did for the, for the prelims with your life story? Oh, no, it's going to be, oh, no, no, no. We're doing, it's completely different. It's going to be a whole completely different number. It's, at that point, it's just full theatrics. Trust me, it, it's going to be a whole production. Are the wheels, have you allowed yourself to be like wheels turning? Oh, yeah. I know what I'm going to do. I've already got, I've already got my outfit for my swimwear because swimwear is one of the categories. So I've already got that outfit. I, I don't have my evening gown yet. I've already got the skeleton of my talent figured out because I'm doing a completely, it's a mash of different talents I've done. Um, so I've got a skeleton of that. I've hired a professional choreographer from Chicago and I'll have professional dancers and I'll have props. And I mean, it's going to be just this kind of incredible and productive. And it's not just me, like everyone that's in the pageant for the most part, they're doing very, very, they're all doing very big productive. And in the meantime, you can find her performing all across all over, Northern Illinois. All over, all over the place, absolutely. All right, well, that was all we had for you. Miss Mona Lott, Miss Wisconsin Continental Elite 2022. It's an honor and a privilege. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You have an awesome, awesome day. Thanks for listening. As always, please nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get amazing guests like Mona Lott. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. Wherever you're hearing, please subscribe, leave us a rating, share whatever you can do, and also subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter that's really fantastic and keeps you up to date on everything having to do with the show, and you can find a link to that on this episode's webpage on wnij.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ups for providing the awesome music you hear in this show. Special thanks to Spencer Tripp for making our Teacher's Lounge logo. And I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.